Welcome to Create Photography. This is Daniel. In today's episode, I'll have a conversation with Lucia Rollo. Lucia is a New York City-based artist, educator, and community organizer. She founded Bushwick Community Darkroom as well as UnitedFilmLab.com. Lucia, welcome to Create Photography. I'm excited to talk to you today. Me too. Thank you for having me. So Lucia, you grew up in Boston and then um, you went to New York City for art school. What was the decision process to go to art school? And can you tell me more about that? Well, I mean, it felt like it was a given, honestly. Um, I got into the dark room when I was in middle school. Um, and then when I was in high school, they had a really excellent photo program and they let me just kind of have my like run of the place and do whatever I wanted. Um, and so it was probably, you know, somewhere in my sophomore year that they started being like, oh, you need to start thinking about college, whatever. And so I started looking at, uh, you know, college, like, you know, flyers and whatever. And, um, yeah, just I realized, you know, that I wanted to study photography and I didn't really want to study anything else. And I didn't really have any interest in anything else. And somehow I managed to persuade my parents that it was a reasonable, mature decision. And honestly, I still feel that way because it was like I went to trade school. And so now I have a trade and, and I can figure this out. And it's not like I have an English degree, which could be useful as well. But uh it's not an actual skill that I can just right. be like, hey, give me $100 an hour and yeah. <laughs> I'll take some photos for you. So, so for you, so it sounds like there was really no, there was just no other possibility, so to say, which is pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it definitely felt that way. And then New York and SVA specifically was like, well, when I started looking at all of the other sort of art schools, Mostly in the United States, not all of the other, obviously, but like I had a selection of probably 12 that I was kind of looking at. And I realized that like I knew also that I really only wanted to do photography. And most of the other schools require you to spend a year doing painting and drawing and ceramics and all that sort of stuff. And um, I just I didn't want to do that. And at SVA, they let you just dive right into the darkroom. Um, so being able to just get right into the photography thing and and then being in New York City and and that was obviously a, a draw for it. Yeah. <laughs> so is, is the school right? Is it in Manhattan or where is the school located? Yeah, it's got like, it doesn't really have a real like campus, but most of the buildings are located sort of around Gramercy Park and uh, on the west side, sort of in that like 17 to 23 range of manhattan um and my freshman year i lived on a, in a dorm on 23rd street and the photo building was on 21st street so it was like being in the city yeah right in the middle <laughs> yeah <laughs> very, cool. very cool so so you mentioned already so your your love for photography started early on and and it sounds like you mentioned the dark room obviously right away um so so it sounds like primarily was it always the analog the the film photography that that kind of yeah yeah okay. yeah it's always okay. i mean you know that first moment of watching the white paper turn into an actual image like and that, that was that was what got me like hooked and then 
finding all the other, you know, alternative processes and different things that you can do with all the lights and development and everything. And it was just a whole world to me. And I, yeah, I just, I never really had much interest in digital. Um, it's practical for me, like, like now it's, it's kind of evolved into like, I'll shoot digital if I'm shooting like an event or something. Um, but if it's something that I like actually like care about and want to preserve, then it's definitely film. So you graduated from SVA from the School of Visual Arts in 2009. And then um, you founded the Bushwick Community Darkroom uh, that I want to talk about today, of course, um, in 2011. So can you tell me how, how this all started and what motivated you to, to start this project? Yeah, um, I mean, it was 2009. So there was the like economic collapse, basically in August of 2008, which was the very beginning of my senior year. Um, and at that point, before my senior year, I sort of thought that I was going to get a day job as a photo editor at a magazine and just like make my art for myself or something. Um, but then I'll like I worked for a couple magazines over the course of my years in school, and um, they all basically closed or, you know, cut their staffs by 75% or whatever. So there were no jobs. Um, and I was like, oh, I have to like reevaluate my plan and figure things out. And so I started walking dogs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. And um, it was really nice. You know, it gave me this kind of like time to just like meditate and like really just like think about like what I like wanted from my life, you know, while still earning some income and getting some exercise and not having to deal with too many humans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I just started thinking about like what I really wanted. And I was like, all I really need is a, you know, black and white dark room where I can print up to 16 by 20. Um, but I also sort of missed the like camaraderie of the like, you know, school environment. And um, I also figured like, if I was in this position, I'm in New York City, you know, there was a whole bunch of us that graduated at the same time. There were probably a few other people that were in the same situation as I was, right? So yeah, I had a, like just like a bunch of conversations with people and the more conversations I had, the more it seemed like it was like a potentially viable possibility. And then um, I found out that the loft building that I was in would rent um, like, you know, basically like six foot by eight foot closets with storage units in the basement of the building and the one that was right next to the laundry room was available so um <laughs> i think i'm still paying rent on that actually oh. <laughs> <laughs> long story <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah so I, I rented it and i ran a kickstarter campaign i was like how much is a year of rent on this place gonna cost like roughly how much is like you know, first batch of chemicals going to cost. Like I got most of the equipment donated. I got my boyfriend at the time to help me build some tables. So it was very scrappy, but like really functional. Um, I built a little, I got one of those like plastic slop sinks from Home Depot for like 50 bucks and I put it on wheels and, and uh, I would roll it in and out of the laundry room so that we had an actual like proper washing station. Um, but it wasn't like in anybody's way all the time. And, um, yeah, I, I ran a Kickstarter and I guess I launched it like about what, like 13 years ago. I got a Facebook reminder, a Facebook memory reminder <laughs> like in the last like couple of days sometime being like, this just happened 15 years ago, like wow. no, 12. Yeah, I did that. I raised $1,500. I decided that was like, you know, about the number that we needed and 
yeah, I built a little Squarespace website and I put up a bunch of flyers and people started booking it. And then I, I also was offering private classes and all of that kind of stuff too. So the word got out sort of via what well, living social, um, they were doing like, uh, sort of deals for classes on living social with me. And that really like kind of blew things up. And then people started donating equipment once they started finding out and having community in the middle of name makes people feel like, you know, of course you want their donations, which for the most part is true. Um, but yeah, I only had so much room in the, in the closet. And so after about a year and a half of being down there, we moved into our first storefront and we were in there sharing that space for maybe a year, I think. And then we moved into another storefront that was in the same facility, but um, just mine, like just the dark room. So I got to make it even a little bit bigger at that point. And we were in there for probably like close to two years. And then um, Print Space, which was a big lab community darkroom space in Manhattan closed down in, oh God, either 2013 or 14. And when they closed down, they called me up and they were like, if you bring a box truck, you can come and take whatever you want, basically. And so I did. And I went and I got a like 15 foot box truck full of, you know, sinks and doors and enlargers. And they gave me their, uh, their like 33 inch color print processor at that time too. Um, so I had, now I was again in the same situation that I had been back in the closet where I had way more equipment than I could fit in my current occupy current operating yeah. space. Um, and so I started looking for more space at that point and I probably spent oh, a good year um, looking for a new space. And um, then I came across this warehouse that was, you know, a few blocks away and it was 4,000 square feet. And so we moved in there initially just occupying the front 2,000 square feet, but then we were in there for eight years. So over the course of that time, it was like <clears throat> it had a bunch of sort of little rooms already built out that were being rented to independent artists of all sorts. There was a ceramicist and a painter and a silversmith and some guys doing welding and a guy that repaired music pedals, like guitar pedals and like amplifiers and stuff. And eventually all those people moved out and I just replaced all their little rooms with dark rooms. And we built a studio in the back of that building, but um, it was a warehouse and it was yep. basically yep. concrete and tar paper. So about this time last year, I kind of got to a point where I was just like, I can't spend another winter in here. Like it's freezing, <laughs> it's raining inside, like it's just mm. not tenable, you know? Um, and I also felt like it had sort of become a space that like I couldn't really invite people into in good conscience either you know because I was like it's just physically uncomfortable to be in this space like whether it's summer and we don't have air conditioning or it's winter and we don't have heat like or it's raining and the water is coming up through the floor like you know <laughs> it was it was just not something and I didn't own the building right so I there was no I couldn't make the capital investments to improve the facility uh and the landlord is a slumlord so He's like, I gave you a fucking concrete tar paper warehouse. Why aren't you happy? I'm like, um. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So I thought I found a new beautiful space a few blocks away from there. And I was going to move into it March of last year um, or of this year, rather. Uh, 
but then like about a week before I thought I was actually going to move in there, the landlord just like flipped the script on me and sent me a whole bunch of text messages that were like epic essays about how he was like uncomfortable. And I was like, I don't know what you're uncomfortable with. Like I've been giving you all of the information you've been asking for. I gave you the deposit. Like I thought we had a lease signed. Like what is going on here? And so when he just completely did a 180 on me, I was like, I'm not fighting for that. Like I don't need to be, in a 10 year lease with someone who like thinks that that's an okay way to handle a situation, you know? Right. So I kind of got thrown back to square one and have spent the last like what, nine, six months. I've lost track, uh, kind of trying to figure out where I'm going from there. And uh, I think now I'm pretty close to having a new spot and I'm hoping that we'll have the dark room open again in early 2024 but I haven't, you know, actually signed any lease or put down a deposit just yet. I'm still like finalizing those negotiations, but that's an interesting situation because the people that I'm talking to now are actually the same people that I was talking to before I moved into the warehouse back in 2014. And the reason I didn't move into that space in 2014 was because it hadn't been built yet. I was talking to the developers and they had just purchased this shell of a factory and they were going to you know, add a couple of wings and do a full gut reno development situation. And then once they had finished that, they would have a ground floor storefront space for me. But um, it wasn't clear in 2014 when they were going to be done building it. And I was like, I can't just like sit here and wait, you know. Um, and ultimately, it's good that I didn't because I'm pretty sure they didn't finish building it until like 2018. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think it's ever actually been rented. So I saw that it was empty earlier this summer and um, I reached back out to the same people that I'd been talking to, you know, almost 10 years ago. And they were like, yeah, this should be good. And so we've just kind of been going back and forth on like the actual details since then. And we might sign a lease next week. That yeah. could happen, but I don't want to, I don't want to go out and say, you know, this is definitely happening because I did right. that last year and <laughs> then right. it all blew right. up in my face. And right. Now I'm a liar. So I don't like that. Is the new place um, going to be more uh, so with air condition or at least or heating and so? Okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, it's okay. brand new construction now. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, and the deal that I am hopefully like confirming with them is that they would they'll install all the like heating and air conditioning and the they'll run the electric for me and they'll give me you know like the plumbing outlets. But then I have to like build out my little dark room and set up my actual like outlets for my machines that need the 220 power and and do all that stuff so they're going to give me a few months free rent while i do that setup yeah it's a clean space it has a real roof it has you know stories on top of it so it's not just raw tar paper it has right. windows oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> like windows and heat and air conditioning yep. and yeah That's its nice. own like actual bathroom like yeah. So it's a bit smaller. It's like 1500 square feet. But the other realization that I got to was like, I really don't need 4000 square feet for all of this. You know, like, I, yep. I don't need to be doing the colored dark room the way that I'm doing it. It's it's way more work than it's worth. I Yeah, so I'm gonna definitely be like scaling down, hopefully, like seriously leveling up the quality. I mean, it sounds like right, even from from when you did it in the warehouse or before, I mean, there clearly is a need, right, for, for this. Um, yeah. And so I guess what I'm curious about is a little bit the business model. You mentioned, you know, you rented it. Is that the main mm -hmm. 
was that kind of the main um, model or were you, I think you're also, you have been doing film developing services as well, correct? Yeah. Um, everything kind of got turned upside down in the pandemic because yep. it was a pandemic. But prior to the pandemic, we basically had like five revenue streams that were pretty evenly divided. Um, and so we had hourly rental that was just people coming in randomly off the street paying by the hour to rent the dark room uh, or to rent an enlarge or a developing station or whatever. And that's like between 10 and $15 over the course of the 10 ish years. Um, and then we had members who pay a flat monthly fee to use the dark room whenever they want. Uh, and then we have classes, um, which we ran, you know, a few times a week and they were basically always full. Um, mm. And shit, what else? Oh yeah, film developing, duh. Yep, <laughs> right, yep, that was one. Yep. <laughs> um, and then sort of just like miscellaneous, like events and shows and stuff. We did a lot of just like parties, but also like artist talks and exhibits and stuff. And mm. we always had like tip jars out for that and that kind of thing. So mm. um, people would come into the space and see the space. And yeah, and then when the pandemic hit, basically anything that involved anyone being there in person got shut down and all of our revenue became film developing drop off coming back from that has been a very interesting challenge. Um, mm -hmm. I think I sort of moved out of the warehouse kind of right when the world like actually started opening up again. I feel like this past year has mm -hmm. been a lot more open than like the year before this. Like I have a photo of me myself in February, 2022, where I'm still wearing a mask, but I don't think I've worn a mask all year this year. So there's just like those like subtle shifts and uh, right. yeah, we were doing, instead of doing group classes, like we were doing before the pandemic, we started doing private classes. So I'm still doing those now, but I'm doing them at a couple of different labs in New York city that aren't my spaces. I'm working with other people. Um, For Bushwick um, community darkroom, I assume you had, you know, it wasn't just you. So you, you had a team that that you worked with or mm -hmm. how, how were you guys organized i guess it was it was all volunteer run for a long time early 2020 late 2019 i got introduced to this organization start small think big when they found out that i don't have my own 501c3 i'm just fiscally sponsored by fractured atlas so being fiscally sponsored means that you can accept tax deductible donations of cash or equipment but mm. you can't accept tax, tax deductible donations of space or labor. Mm. And I knew the space part, but I didn't realize the labor part. And so when they found out that I was running on a volunteer work trade basis, basically everybody that volunteered got an hour of free darkroom access for every hour that they worked oh, at the reception desk. And that worked, you know, relatively well, but we had about 60 people working for us at the peak. And, mm. uh, it was definitely chaotic. I also, I had a smaller like leadership team of about six people that helped me, helped me coordinate all of those hmm. 60 people. Yeah. That's quite an operation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So start small, think big, sort of very strongly encouraged me to end the volunteer program. Uh, and they were doing that around the same time that we were all going into lockdown. Hmm. So when we went into lockdown, I sort of just bundle the whole thing as like, hey, volunteers, your services are no longer needed and didn't really explain to them exactly why, because um, well, they could have sued me for unpaid wages. 
And then, uh, and then one of them did. And that was really great. And I just settled with him in July for $50,000. Mm. Um, that was hell. But at that point, I, so I, I laid all the volunteers off when we went into lockdown and I was basically doing everything myself. And then a few of those, like, like three of those six people that had been part of my upper leadership team came back and I put them on payroll and uh, we were all just working together to keep everything running for the last eight, like year that we were in that place. And then now it's just me and Jess who has been with me for about five years. She's, and so she's working with me to do like sort of customer service management, film developing, scanning that stuff. And then I have two or three people that are teaching classes for me as independent contractors. So no more volunteer opportunities, but um, yeah. no more yeah. legal ambiguity either. So. And so are you teaching yourself as well? Or is it mostly you have other occasionally, okay. but not okay. so much? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've done it, so you don't you don't necessarily need to do it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I should, because every time I do, I find that it's like actually more enjoyable than I remember. But um, it takes a lot of energy, you know. Right. Are the classes are they focused on primarily the darkroom techniques, or is it also about other other things? At the moment, all we're running is basic intro to black and white, developing and printing, and basic intro to color. That's largely because that's like what I have access to the facilities for right now. Prior to leaving the warehouse, we did, there were these two girls that came from ICP and they did a whole summer long like portrait workshop situation where mm -hmm. they, um, yeah, they had like a crit session. They like went out and looked at shows together and then they like came back and just talked about like how to make cool portraits and all that kind of stuff. So once we have like a, you know, a hub again, a place where people can gather, I'm definitely looking forward to bringing back a wider variety of classes than we have right now, for sure. Mm -hmm. And are you so the new with the going to the new space now or the, the new vision, I guess, is it do you think is it going to be similar overall that so you'll have the dark room you'll, you'll do some classes um mm -hmm. the film developing or do you do you feel like you might do a few things differently also is it going to be the same name for example and stuff like that it's definitely going to be similar but not the same <laughs> um yeah. i'm definitely going to keep the bushwick community dark room name i'm going to keep using that for the dark room facility but I'm sort of trying to separate out the film developing, the mail-in and drop-off film developing into United Film Lab um, and have that be a sort of separate brand. Because one of the things that I found when I was at the warehouse was a lot of people would come in and they would drop off their film and that would be the extent of their experience. And they didn't even realize that there was like a whole 4,000 square foot warehouse full of dark rooms in the rest of the building, you know? And so I'm trying to figure out how to sort of clarify that like brand yep. identity difference um and having the united film lab it was it was just a domain that i registered probably like five years ago that i wasn't doing mm -hmm. anything with and then i we sort of was in this situation and i was like this is a good opportunity to maybe experiment with this um and then i came up with the idea of the whole united film lab network thing um which i think is it's something I'm pretty excited about right now, honestly. It's about mm -hmm. like just <clears throat> um, creating a network of dark rooms all over the world, right? Because I realized that a lot of places have popped up in the last like five years, at least in the United States. And 
when I started Googling, I was like, there are a lot of places, but there's no single place that you can go on the internet and find them. And like a couple people have tried to build directories, but none of them have really been very like successful or robust, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. Ilford has one that they started that has a good collection of places in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it was the Phoenix Film Revival people that were starting with another one. But last I checked, it only had like three spots on it. So I was like, obviously there's some, you know, technical or something hold up that's, you know, preventing people from like accomplishing this. And it just seemed to me like it should be something that was relatively simple because all I really, all I really wanted was a map with dots and names, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm in Europe where are the dark rooms that I can go to. I'm yep. in South America where are the dark rooms, like whatever. Right. Um, and so I figured out that, you know, with Google forms, you can do that. you can you can create a google form that feeds its data automatically into a map and so i set that up and i started emailing it out to lab owners and i said um can you just fill out this form for me there's no cost to the labs to get on the map i just ask that they offer people photographers who are members of the network some sort of exclusive discount or access or something you know i don't i don't care what they want to give like my people as long as they give them something you know i'm not here to tell other Mm. people how to run their businesses i just want people to have access so yeah we've probably got like 35 or 40 places on that map at this point yeah that sounds super cool so so you have so you set up the united film lab website which has film developing services that you're managing, but then it also, it, it basically is that mm-hmm. starting to be a directory of film apps in different countries. And actually, I think that's a super cool idea. I, I'm, a, I'm a film photographer as well. So I was, I'm always thinking about, you know, when you travel internationally, especially, um, exactly. you know, it's always a little bit of an issue with, you, you don't know how these scanners, they're getting stronger and, you know, whatever. So it's, it's right. just, it might be nice to do things locally <laughs> um, when you travel. Exactly. But, and you don't need to like, like to not have to bring your film through the airport security multiple times yeah. before yep. developing it, you know, exactly. Like, just exactly. simple stuff like that. Like, yep. and there are places all over if you can figure out how to find them. And so I'm kind yeah. of like, I feel like sort of uniquely positioned to be able to find and connect these places because I've been doing this for 10 years plus now. So um, strange. It's strange. I feel young, but I feel like I have more experience in this than a lot of the people who like are in the field. So, so yeah, I, I look forward to checking that out and we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes as well, because I think that's a great great resource and great idea and maybe you know people who listen or have a lab they can obviously can enter their information yeah. it sounds like pretty it's pretty easy to do um it should be, so, hopefully. Yep, yep, that, i'm that's not the great. most technically proficient though so it might actually just not work at all and i wouldn't know but i think it's yeah, working yeah no that that's wonderful so so i want to kind of go back uh, again you know your journey you, you said you meant you, you've been doing this for a long time which, which is true so when you kind of look back at, at your journey so far with, with this, there's a couple of things you mentioned on, you know, how to set it up or, you know, with the volunteering, so the legal side of things. But but aside from that, is there anything you would do differently, potentially? Um, 
or or is that not really a um and i'm not a hindsight person i'm just curious because you know obviously this is a this was really it's a big project right you've been working on yeah and there's so many like just variables and having the pandemic hit when it did like like just things that are completely out of my control i'm sure there are a lot of things i would have done differently but i i don't really like i don't really when like when i think about you know points at which when i was like presented with you know an opportunity to go left or right should I have gone left instead of right? Where are the places that I maybe should have gone left or right? When I moved into the warehouse, I had another option on another spot. And there's a little part of me that thinks maybe that would have been better, but I really don't actually think it would because it was only 1000 square feet. And it was up on like the second or third floor of a building that was like deep in the industrial section of Bushwick. And I just don't think anybody would have ever found us. And I also think we would have outgrown it really quickly. Um, being in the big warehouse gave us the like space to grow. And like, we kind of grew out of it, but it also kind of, you know, just, it, it, it just evolved into something that was, you know, different over time. The building started like was falling down the whole time, but then it just, it never got any maintenance. And I was in there for eight years. And, you know, if you don't maintain a roof for eight years, it's going to degrade. So, right, right, right. Um, That's not what you can do about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't know if, if like, there, there are design things I, I could have done differently, you know, when we when we built out the color darkroom, we stuck the color print processor in this like weird little nook, so you couldn't access the front half of it. So when you're changing the chemicals or washing the racks or anything like that, it was a giant pain in the ass. Um, so if I set up the color darkroom again, I'll make sure that the color print processor is fully accessible on both sides. When we were installing the sink, we put the temperature control unit smack in the middle of the wall above the sink. So we couldn't put any shelves on that wall. So we had to put all our chemicals in these cabinets and then the chemicals would leak because people wouldn't close the nozzles completely. And when they leaked, they would get all over the cabinets and all over the floors. So everything was always a disgusting mess. And if I had had the chemicals on, you know, shelves above the sink they would have just leaked directly into the sink and it wouldn't have been a big deal right uh, <laughs> right right so yeah i mean right. things like that like things like that yep yeah it would have been really nice to have a level floor <laughs> yeah <laughs> to having a level floor right. in the new space yeah. like, that actually makes a difference yeah and so so maybe looking forward you know if somebody let's just say somebody else somewhere in the world wants to do something like that would you what advice, I guess, would you give that person or what, what would you, would you tell yeah. them? <laughs> there was a guy that emailed me a few months ago and he was like, how much money do I need to start a darkroom? And I was like, that is just the wrong question to start with. Like, that is just the wrong question to start with because, well, you don't need any money, really. You could do it with 500 bucks. You know, if you have a closet and a table and an electrical outlet, you go buy some chemicals and you can get most of the equipment for free if you do enough like digging around. It's like, how much time are you willing to invest? You know, if you have $10,000, sure, go out, buy the stuff, set it all up, like get it done in a closet, like $10,000 will build out a closet. 
like very nicely a very nice closet mm-hmm. <laughs> but also like you can get a perfectly adequate you know free and larger on craigslist and and just like black out your windows and and like make it work so it's it's really like what are you trying to like what kind of environment are you trying to establish like do right. you just want a dark room for yourself or are you trying to set up a like a private dark room that gets rented hourly or that people can buy memberships to there's a guy in queens that has a private dark room that you can pay 250 dollars a month for and have access to but he's only willing to rent it out to like five people at a time or something mm. like you know it's not it's not right. a community dark room even though like the community does technically have access like it's it's his beautiful dark room that he's willing to make available to people who are you know, willing to, I don't know, pay him $250 a month. Um, Yeah, I I would say like, you know, if you're thinking about doing it, just spend a good amount of time thinking, you know, and think about what like you really need and like talk to the people that you think might use it, ask them if they're really gonna use it or not. Um, Like find out if there's a demand, you know, that was part of the reason that I, ran a Kickstarter to begin with, because I was like, well, if I don't make the goal, then I just won't do this project. And like, then the desire isn't there. And like, it was a way of sort of taking the temperature and finding out if it was something that people actually wanted or not. So um, when I hit the goal, I was like, oh, fuck, <laughs> like, <laughs> I have to actually do this now. <laughs> now like, you have to do it. <laughs> people expect it from me. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I think a lot of people think that like, it's really just like easy and will work automatically. And it's like not quite that simple. Not and right. so I think people sort of get frustrated when they realize that it's actually work and not right. just like play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, and it's interesting right nowadays, um, many people, including myself, I, I do film, but I, I do the, you know, the hybrid thing. So I, I scan mm-hmm. it in, right? And, and that yeah. seems to be a common, a common way to go as well. Although the printing, I, I was thinking about it too, personally, but I, I, I can see how this, it would be cool to have something like that here in, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, you know, and it, maybe there yeah. is, but where um, you can just, you know, play around with that i think there's a photography school where where you can do that but yeah no it's it's very cool well i'm glad you're you you keep doing it and i'm I'm sure that my guess is the community will really appreciate it when once you have the new space (laughs) i think they'll like it i hope so (laughs) yeah Yeah, that sounds exciting so um lucia i want to talk a little bit about your own work so so you do you have time to work on 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 any personal <laughs> or other photography projects or are you <laughs> barely consumed yeah okay okay yeah. i definitely i definitely built this out thinking that it was going to be something that i was using for my own work a lot of the time and that definitely has not been the case mm-hmm. um <laughs> but you know i do still shoot from time to time i usually just i focus mostly like for my own stuff i i focus on like landscapes and black and white mm. and um gun by chromate so where i'm currently at right now is i haven't really done any like actual serious shooting i've shot like a few roles here and there over the last like couple years but i have a huge backlog of black and white film that i need to 
turn into large format negatives and make gum prints from. Hmm. Um, and I made a batch of gum prints this past summer for the first time in uh, four years. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. So I'm sort of getting back to it. Um, and I'm hoping, you know, in this next iteration to have things run a little just more smoothly on a daily basis so that I can actually have a little bit of brain space. And yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping to take what I learned from being in the warehouse and apply that in the new space so that the little fires that I was always putting out aren't so prevalent. Right. Um, and I have a little bit more time to actually like use the space for my own stuff. And then if I get to that point where I'm actually able to use the space for my own stuff again, then I'll, uh, I'll start doing alternate processes classes and teaching people what I'm doing as well. Because mm. I oh, that's that cool. That could be cool. And, and so you mentioned um, large format. Um, is that your your favorite, or, or do you do you kind of would you also do thirty five millimeters or one twenty or others? So I mostly actually just shoot one twenty. Usually, I I I have thirty five. I have I have a couple of different thirty five millimeter cameras, and I'll shoot some thirty five like for fun. Um, but when I'm doing my like landscapes and stuff, I I start with a one twenty negative. And then I turn that into either an 11 by 14 or a 16 by 20 mm. negative using lith film. Mm. And then I'll use the 11 by 14 or 16 by 20 negative uh, on the lith film to do the actual gum bichromate printing. Mm. So, yeah, I'm not yeah, I'm not going cool. out with a huge field camera. <laughs> yep. yep I, I, I don't have the <laughs> patience for that, but right. I got a I got a hustle blog when I was in college. So, yeah, that's that's my baby. And uh I don't yeah. really feel like I could ever imagine needing anything else. I'm like, this yeah. camera went to the moon, you know? Yeah, it did. It did. It's very cool. It's good enough for them. Yeah. <laughs> um, is it that? That's a typical film nerd question, but film stock. Um, is there? Do you have any favorite for for your workflow or, um, with regards to film stock? Or? I mean, my absolute favorite was Acros. I love, love, love Acros. Not so much the Acros 2. It doesn't have the same like richness. Okay. So now that it's gone, I've basically just been shooting HP5. Okay. I don't love Tri-X for some reason. I just, I, I just, I feel like it, um, I guess I, I guess I like higher contrast <clears throat> and I have a hard time getting the contrast that I like from Tri-X. Like the Acros was just this beautiful, like, deep, rich, like high contrast, but also just like, like the silver was, it was just full of silver and it was just so just like luscious, you know, like, mm -hmm. yeah, it really, I really loved that film. To wrap up my last and hopefully easy question, where can people best find you and also Bushwick Community Darkroom as well as United Film Lab? So we'll link to all that in the show notes, of course, but I just want to mention it verbally too. Cool. So Bushwick Community Darkroom is online at bushwickcommunitydarkroom.com and on Instagram at Bushwick DKRM, not darkroom, just DKRM. Uh, and then the United Film Lab is online at unitedfilmlab.com. And that Instagram is also United Film Lab. And then I'm online at luciarallo.com and my Instagram is just lucia.rallo. Oh, awesome. So it's all pretty straightforward, it's I hope. Pretty straightforward. <laughs> no, that's great. Well, I hope 
hope people will reach out and you know check it out um yeah. i think that that's a great resource and certainly for people in the east coast but also you know just having that that opportunity to check out the, the network of, of yeah. film labs in the world so, so and people are mailing us their film from all over all over oh, the country nice. not so much all oh, over nice. the world but all over the country it's really cool yeah that's great are you yeah. guys doing um are you doing color and and black and white for yeah for your, yeah okay. for okay. film developing we can do anything we can do color we can do black and white we can do e6 and we're actually working with a local lab to do motion as well so we can do super 8 or 16 millimeter no 35 but super 8 and 16 yeah well great well lucia thank you so much for speaking with me today that was really fun i i learned a lot i uh, hope others our listeners too and yeah thanks again thank you this is great